0: Gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. We are back with show number thirty-one of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting and talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head. Joining me via the wonders of Skype is Mr. Chimakar Sandu. Sandu,
1: how are you doing, my friend? I'm very well, Simon. It's uh, it's the first big UFC event to be held in Europe this year coming up at the end of this week. So, and I've already seen um, the UFC start to, you know really pushed the event there's uh, billboards all over the shop there's posters on the uh, underground um, they have started to do the, the media rounds with the big outlets like bbc so uh, exciting times here in london where the ufc comes home so to speak
0: it's gonna be good it's gonna be good uh, we've got we've got a sizable fight card coming our way from the o2 uh, i know there have been a few complaints about a slight lack of star power at the top end of that card but if uh, if you've been following the journey of some of these British fighters as they've made their way up through the domestic ranks and into the UFC, then uh, there's an awful lot to be excited about as we build up to UFC Fight Night this coming weekend. But before we get on to that, Sandu, let's take a quick look back at UFC Fight Night in Fortaleza, Brazil. This was a Fox Sports card. Now, normally, you look at the Fox Sports UFC Fight Night cards and sometimes they can be a little bit thin. This one was absolutely stacked. We had some we had some superb fights on this card, great matchups, and uh, the top three the top three fights on the card, each each fight delivered the business. Edson Barboza against Benil Darius. Just when we thought that Edson Barboza couldn't bring any more highlight real material to his UFC career. He starches Benil Darius who's been on some pretty tasty form of his own. Starches him with a perfect jumping knee amazing stuff sandu i know that you were burning the midnight oil on saturday night watching this one what was your what was your immediate reaction once you once you saw that knee land flush on dariush's chin incredible stuff
1: devastating brutal and beautiful that's the way i'd sum it up it was just a phenomenal technique great power and i don't know what it is but it just seems lately we're um, we're getting blessed with lots of flying knee Style knockouts, um, you know, Michael Venom Page and Paul Daly come to mind, you know, right off the bat. And um, and yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Simon. Edson Barbosa's highlight reel is just insane. It's fantastic and it's exciting. It's what fans really want to see, you know. They want to see submissions, they want to see knockouts. And Edson Barbosa provides plenty of knockouts. And even when he doesn't provide knockouts, he's involved in some very exciting fights, lots of action. Um, and he's on a really good run now. You know, this is a big win for him uh, against Benil Dariush, who is, uh, you know, a real top contender in that lightweight division. But Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez and Benil Dariush, that's a pretty good uh, run of uh, victories for Edson Barbosa. And it starts to beg the question, what do you do with him next? Because I think he's now starting to peek into the upper echelon of, the, of that division.
0: Yeah, it's worth noting, of course, Pettis and Melendez, both former world champions, uh, Melendez in Strikeforce, Pettis, of course, in the UFC, and uh, he won decisions against those two, but there's so much more to it than saying he won decisions against those two guys. He looked phenomenal in both fights, outstruck the pair of them, outworked the pair of them, and uh, thoroughly deserved the, uh, the victory on each occasion. You mentioned what, is, you know, what does he do next. He goes back to his last defeat um, against Tony Ferguson, fight that mm. I was at in, in Las Vegas, and a, a phenomenal back-and-forth fight. Um, and he wants to fight Tony Ferguson again. Um, he said after the fight that a five-round main event fight with Tony Ferguson would be crazy. It certainly would. It would be absolutely bananas, and I I would, I would love to see that fight again. I was cage-side. It was in the... Crikey, what was it? It was at the Cosmopolitan. It was at the Chelsea in the Cosmopolitan, which... It's a tiny tiny venue, probably only held about 1,000 people, 1,200 people at most. And um, you really could hear every strike land, even from the very back row. And, and uh, some of those shots that Barboza was landing on Ferguson that night were was really something to behold. Um, something that will always stick with me is the sound of those, those leg kicks hitting Ferguson to the body in that fight. Ferguson got the win on that occasion, the Dars choke submission. Overcame a fair bit of adversity to get there, but but made it, got the win, and he's obviously gone on and done pretty well since. Um, I'd love to see that fight again. Ferguson needs a fight. Barboza needs a fight. If the Khabib Nurmagomedov fight isn't going to happen, and if Nate Diaz isn't prepared to to take that fight, I don't think that's a t- I, don't, I don't think that's too bad a backup fight. Do you, do you agree with that, or would you see his future against against maybe somebody else at the top of that lightweight division?
1: That's not bad. I just feel it like with Tony Ferguson right now. Um, he's put himself into a position where he's done no wrong. And if he's going to fight, it'll be for an interim title. Um, and I think, you know, he wants a big money fight. And if it's not going to be Khabib, um, because they've tried to make that fight happen so many times. You know, I liked your suggestion last week of Nate Diaz. Um, Eddie Alvarez just got booked up, so he's out of the running. I'm looking at the uh, the rankings. Rafael Dessanios is still positioned as a lightweight, but he'll be making a move to, to welterweight. So, I mean, just behind Barboza is one Michael Chiesa, who I don't believe is booked up right now, and he's he's looking for a fight. He was actually um, trying to get the Eddie Alvarez fight, you know, going, but that's not going to happen. So, Edson Barboza, who's ranked a few places ahead of him right now, that might not be a bad shout, and it'll keep Edson busy. Um, so, and and again, with this lightweight title picture being what it is. Um, I don't think he's gonna be in that kind of title picture anytime soon, I don't think. Um, and so this is an opportunity for him to, you know, keep busy, stay relevant, stay in that picture. Um I just got, I've just got a, a bit of a gut feeling though, that for the remainder of this year, at the at the very least, he might be going towards that Yoel Romero Damien Meyer type of position, you know, where He's got some amazing wins put together. Based on meritocracy alone, you could potentially argue with one more you know, you know, big name value win on his resume and you could put him straight into a title fight. But it's just not the way the cookie is crumbling at the moment for, for, for fighters in the UFC um, as things currently stand under the new WME IMG era. So if I'm him... Um, I'll just try and get a fight. And as long as that um, you know, opponent is somewhere in and around the top five, top six, top seven, um, it keeps him busy, keeps him relevant. But hey, listen, if he can wrangle his way into a Tony Ferguson fight, then happy days. Yeah,
0: a Tony Ferguson interim title fight, I think, might not be out of the question, just with the the movements of some of the other guys at the top of that division. But we will wait and see what happens. I do agree with you, though, that Tony Ferguson's next fight should be for interim lightweight gold. So we'll see what happens with that one. Take yourself back to November 2014. And uh, Mauricio Shogun, who a former pride legend, a Brazilian mixed martial arts royalty, was staring unemployment in the face. He'd lost four out of his last five fights, including back-to-back knockouts to Dan Henderson and Ovin St. Prue. Since then... He has bounced back in really a really quite remarkable manner. He, he went to decision to beat Antonio Rogerio Oguera in August 2015 at UFC 190. He then eked out a split decision. And eked out is the phrase there because I thought Anderson won this fight. Corey Anderson was the opponent uh, UFC 198. But Shogun got the nod down there in Curitiba, Brazil. A Brazilian getting a nod on the scorecards. Who'd have thought it? And then... On Saturday night in Fortaleza, Brazil, he took on New Yorker Jan Volante and stopped him TKO in the third and final round. And the cr- well, the crowd just went absolutely nuts. It was probably the biggest noise of the evening. Amazing, amazing stuff. I honestly thought the Shogun was finished about a year and a half ago. I didn't, I couldn't see where he was going to go. And now here he is. He's picked up three in a row, and uh, he's picked up the scalp of a. A solid, a solid prospect in that light heavyweight division with a stoppage win. That's impressive stuff from a guy who you'd expect to be on the, down, the downside of his career.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's good matchmaking um, from the UFC here where you've got somebody who's in his mid-30s. He's not completely past it. Um, there's still some interesting fights. I mean, you could put that same spin on Rashad Evans, for example, right now in the middleweight division. Um, but they've slowly been able to build him back up again. Um, And his last three fights have all been actually his last five fights have all been in Brazil, but his last three in particular um, have come against, you know, guys that have got name value for sure. um, But 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 also there's not kind of like the pressure of him having to main event or co-main event a big, massive card. His his last two fights against um, Antonio Ruggiero, Nogueira and Corey Anderson were part of a much bigger pay-per-view offering. So the, the pressure was a little bit off. So they started to build it back up again. Um, and, you know, he was in this kind of co-main uh, event slot for the first time in a while. Um, he got a, a good victory over Gian Vellante. It was literally old-fashioned, old-school um, Shogun who are rolling back the years, a vintage performance of anyone that's been following his career for a long time. And and actually, it's, it's interesting that this is uh, the third win in a row. The very first time he's been able to string three wins in a row together under the UFC banner, which is astonishing to That's kind of remarkable. You know, think it is. And um, and I, and he's and he's in an interesting position now because I think he and I, and I think the UFC London main event could have massive ramifications with regards to a potential future um, showdown with Shogun, because I think if Jimmy Manua wins. On Saturday night and we can talk about this a little bit later on I still think he will need one more big victory for him to really be able to put out there that hey I deserve a title shot and if you look at the light heavyweight division you've got Shogun who are who's number six in the rankings after this win this past weekend I'm sure they'll nudge him up uh, to five and then you've got around the corner in Stockholm you've got Gustafsson versus Glover to now if Glover Teixeira beats Gustafsson, then I think Teixeira and Manua somewhere in the second half of the year makes a lot of sense. Gustafsson and Manua have fought before, and they're much more training partners now than they used to be back then. Even though they did train back then before they fought the last time three years ago, they train um, you know together a lot more often now than they did back then. If they can avoid fighting each other, I think they will. And, and that's why I lean towards perhaps if Gustafsson wins in Stockholm against Teixeira, then I think you make the Manoa-Shogun fight. What are your thoughts on that side?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, you look on the flip side of that Manoa fight as well. Corey Anderson's tucked in there nicely at number seven as well. So it really does keep that, it, it keeps that in the mix as well. Um, so you've got Anderson, Hua, Teixeira, Gustafsson, Manoa and you can perm a, a, you know, at least two decent fights out of that with perhaps one of them going on to become the next number one contender. So there's there's plenty to look at there and uh, it's interesting. And a little note on John Volante. If you are of the betting persuasion, and I know a few of you out there are, um, strongly consider putting some money on him winning his next fight because you look at his career record, his last five fights, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat. So... He's alternating wins and losses over his last few fights. And uh, he's due a win again. So uh, keep an eye on Joe Valente next time he steps into the octagon. Because if, uh, if form is anything to go by, he could well be taking home the, uh, the, the winner's check at the end of that one. That was the, the co-main event of UFC Finite in Fortaleza. The main event was, uh, I thought, something of a changing of the guard in the middleweight division uh, young rising prospect Kelvin Gastelum, who of course we know all about his uh, his issues as a welterweight. I still think that is the weight class for him, but right now he looks so good at 185. Why, why you know why try and fix it if it isn't broke? He took on the legend, the phenom Vitor Belfort, uh, overcame a little bit of adversity early on in that fight. We saw a little bit of old school Vitor at points, um, some some of those uh, powerful spinning heel kicks and. Some of those uh, blistering, striking exchanges that he likes to go go for early on in fights. Gastelum did an excellent job of dealing with all that. And as so many people predicted, Gastelum turned the tables on Belfort before even the end of the first round and stopped him at the 3 minute 52 mark by TKO to stun silence inside the arena in Fortaleza. Great performance from Gastelum. The performance against Kennedy was impressive. This one, I think, just as much... And uh, I think we're looking at a new rising contender now, Sandy. What do you think?
1: He looks great at middleweight. You know, he's not got any weight cutting issues. He looks thick and strong, and I think he's got a good style, abundance of energy. Um, He's getting you know wins now over some you know real kind of veterans of that division. Uh, You know, guys have got some serious name value. I mean, Tim Kennedy and Vito Belfort. They don't get any bigger than that. And especially beating Belfort in Brazil, that's massive, that's huge. And the fact that he used his post-fight interview opportunity to try and set up a fight with Anderson Silva, I mean, he's saying all the right things, Simon. He's saying all the right things. He knows that he's only to, to put, um, you know, a run of wins together to slowly but surely put himself, you know, in a potential, you know, title picture um, within the space of the next, I suppose, year or so. Um, and if he can get two or three more wins. Over some of the legends of that division, and then slowly but surely, you know, try and creep, creep up to that kind of like top six, top seven, um, you know, echelon of fighters in that division. Then he'll be in a really good um, situation. But um, listen, it's not easy to go to Brazil um, and get a, a win in emphatic fashion, like Kelvin Gastelum did over a legend like Vitor Belfort. And like you said, Simon. You know, Vitor had his moments in that first round. First round, Vitor Belfort is still a very real thing, no matter what his age. Uh, but kudos for uh, to get to Gaslam to getting the job done.
0: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see just how they play his career. Are they going to slow play him? Or Are they going to really catapult him straight up into there? Because you saw him against Belfort from a size perspective, he's a small middleweight, and you look at him and you look at him in the weigh-ins and you think. He should be able to make 170. He really should, but as a 185 pounder, he looks phenomenal. You can't argue with the performances, um, and his last three fights, obviously, the, you know, the two most recent ones were at 185. But he's beaten Johnny Hendricks at USC 200. He's beaten Tim Kennedy at USC 206, and now he's beaten Vitor Belfort. The, you know, the sky really is the limit for him, and I think it's a really interesting one. In many ways, I put him in a similar bracket to Cody Garbrandt because he's he's this young rising star who they've they've gradually maneuvered him into a position where he could challenge for a title. And when he got his chance, he took it. And I can I can see a similar situation potentially occurring with Kelvin Gaslam. He's he's another guy. He's got a, you know a sort of a clean cut persona he's a triple threat when it comes to the linguistic side of things. He was, he was conducted interviews in English, Spanish and Portuguese down there in Brazil, which is mightily impressive. Um, especially for a guy who he's only 25 years of age as well. You know, this is, he, he, he's got a little bit of everything. He's an ultimate fighter winner, which is great for the brand, you know? And, and, uh, he's been he's, he's been out and about as a guest fighter at points and has done a, has done a good job doing that as well so i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with kelvin gaslam next and he's the sort of person who you can put him in a, in different markets and he'll do well he's obviously he is american he will obviously do well in america he's got that uh mexican heritage as well if they did a showdown in mexico i'm sure he would be well well received down there too so there's a I think there's a big upside for Kelvin Gaslam and it'd be really, really interesting to see who they look to put him against next. He wants Anderson Silva next. He's declared himself to be on some sort of veteran's ass whipping tour um, and have him done with Vitor Belfort. Not content with beating Vitor Belfort in Fortaleza, he now wants to put Anderson Silva away in Rio.
1: Do you give him that fight? I'm not sure. I mean, going by today's reports, it looks like Anderson Silva has got his eyes on potentially a Nick Diaz rematch in Rio. So, I mean, kudos to Kelvin, like I said, for, for calling his shot and trying to aim as high as he can. And it doesn't get any bigger uh, in terms of legends than Anderson Silva. I just don't think it's going to happen, so si. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think um, the UFC with Brazil being such an important market, if they can, you know, carefully matchmake their big superstars and Anderson Silva's finally just come off a win after quite some time, yeah, you want to try and, you know, build that momentum and that includes some careful matchmaking. So perhaps the Nick Diaz rematch might be um, a good thing for Anderson Silva. But again, kudos to Kelvin for trying to aim at that high. Um, you know, what what's the saying? You... You aim for the aim for the moon, shoot for the stars, or what's the uh, say? Shoot,
0: shoot for the stars, you might get the moon or something, or, or the other way around. I don't know. There don't you go. Something I'm, like I'm, that.
1: I'm useless at these. You know, <laughs> but but, um, <laughs> but apart from Kelvin, though, I think the more interesting situation coming out of the fight is what, what do you do with Vitor Belfort? And is this the end? And he's got one fight left on his contract. He um, he called his shot in the post fight press conference by saying that he'd like to go out fighting on that Rio card in June, uh, UFC. 2-1-2, headlined by Jose Aldo versus uh, Max Holloway for the interim featherweight championship. Well, actually, no, it's the actual featherweight championship, isn't it? Yeah. Because um, Holloway is the, um, the interim, yeah. so it's the unification bout. So many interim titles, so I can't keep track. <laughs> um, but um, but that would make a lot of sense. Vitor Belfort fighting in Rio, last fight contract. Three straight losses. If you can try and leave the UFC on a high by getting a win in Brazil, that seems like uh, some, you know, a poetic way to go out. I
0: would, I would, I want to see him in there with with um, Rashard. I think, I think Rashard, mm. Rashard would. I think they're both at similar-ish stages in their in their careers. Um, they're both in need of an opponent, and I think they're both in need of a fight that that they would consider to be winnable, so they can feel like they're getting themselves back on track. Vitor obviously will want to go out on a high. He said he's going to retire after his next fight. Rashad Evans I think feels that he might have another few left in him but he needs that win just to kick start that. So Rashad versus Vitor I think would would work quite nicely and you could put that on anywhere. I like um, it. If Vitor wants it in in Rio then fine do it in Rio. That would make a that would make a cracking main card fight in Rio de Janeiro. I think that would be a really interesting fight. Um and uh that would be the one that I would aim for I think but one thing about Vitor and I know there's, there's, you know, there's lots said about him and, uh, he's, his changing body type during his career. I, I actually retweeted a picture this afternoon, showing what he looked like in, uh, in 2012 compared to what he looks like today. Yeah, I saw it. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. It really is incredible. But what, what, what can't be understated is just how much he's given to the sport. He's been in the sport for 20 years and, uh, you know, if you're in any job for 20 years, you you know, you've had a good shift. But this has got to be one of the toughest jobs in the world. Professional fighter. And he's gone through the whole the whole growing process and developmental process of the sport of mixed martial arts at the highest level. He was in it when there were barely any rules. He was in it when, um, you know, the, the sport was struggling to get sanctioned across America. And now with the sport at its, at its peak, he's still going. And granted, he looks like you know he's, he's, he's one fight away from hanging them up. His, uh, his career is, is, is a remarkable one. And he's an absolute lock to get in that UFC Hall of Fame once he does decide to hang those gloves up. Wasn't his day on Saturday night, though. And uh, the plaudits deservedly go to Kelvin Gaslam, who won one of four Performance of the Night bonuses on the night. There was no fight of the night, interestingly. Um, they gave the performance of the night bonuses to Kelvin Gaslam. Unsurprisingly, Edson Barboza picked one up. Michel Prezerez for his north-south choke win over Josh Berkman. Uh, and Paulo Enrique Costa, who uh, ran through the soldier boy, Gareth McClellan, in the very first fight of the night. They all picked up a cool $50,000. That was UFC fight night in Fortaleza, Brazil. That was last weekend, but really, this show is all about what's going to happen this coming weekend. This is the Brit Pack, after all, and we've got the UFC coming to our backyard, London. The O2 Arena uh, in London's Docklands is going to play host to UFC Fight Night 107 as Jimmy the Poster Boy Manoa takes on Corey, whatever his nickname is this week, Anderson in the main event. It's overtime, isn't it? It is overtime. after hammering him for Beast in 25-8, I actually prefer Beast in 25-8.
1: Beast in 25-8 was so bad, it was good. Yeah. And then it just stuck.
0: I know. Overtime is just... It was like when Hector Lombard changed his nickname to Showweather and no one paid any notice. It was like, that's terrible, Hector. Just go back to being lightning or just yeah. don't use one. But yeah, Corey Overtime Anderson. You don't get paid for overtime in, in, in the UFC. So interesting choice of nickname. But let's run through this fight card. We'll go bottom to top, um, work our way up to this main event. Lots. Lots, lots and lots of British interest in this card. First off, uh, no Brits in the first fight. Lena Landsberg, who for a minute, it looked like we were going to lose her off the fight card altogether when uh, Veronica Macedo, who was a originally scheduled opponent, pulled out. She's now taking on Lucy Pudelova, who is from the Czech Republic and is making a UFC debut. That will kick things off on the very first fight of the night that's a women's banterweight contest then we go straight into it a battle of britain bradley scott scott askham 185 pounds really interesting fight it's kind of a crossroads fight for both guys bradley scott um it feels like he's he through largely through to uh, sorry largely due to uh, reasons out of his control he's had long gaps between his fights so it feels like we only see him every every 18 months or so um, but uh, he's looking. He's looking to find himself back in back in the winning column again against Scott Ascom, who produced a, one of the knockouts of the year for me last year at the O2 when he he uh, kicked Chris Dempsey's head off his shoulders uh, at the O2. So interesting one. He's coming off a loss. So's Bradley Scott, who lost to Christoph Jocko. Tough fight to pick, I think. Because they're both at slightly different points in their careers, but they're both desperate to pick up victories.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how you described it as a crossroads fight for both of them. And Bradley Scott's just 27 years old. I feel like he's a bit way older than that, considering how long I think we've been covering him and how often we've been able to kind of interview him. And I think it maybe goes down with those long gaps in between fights that you mentioned there, side, But these two guys, they're just a, a few months apart in age. You know, Scott's 27 and Ascom's 28, they, they've both been alternating between wins and losses over the last three or four fights. So they're not coming into this fight with any form of consistency or form whatsoever. And that's what makes it really difficult in regards to trying to pick a winner here. Um, and it is a pickem, if you ask me. Just flip a coin. It's going to be interesting to see um, how they perform. Um, one thing's for sure, they're both going to have um, passionate sets of the arena, cheering them both on. Um, and I, and I do fear for the for the loser in this fight. I really do, um, especially the way um, WMEIMG continues to trim the fat, so to speak, um, with the overall roster. Um, but what I what I would say is, whoever loses, and and if that means that that person does get cut, they probably couldn't be getting cut at a better time with regards to how healthy the state of European and UK MMA is right now with regards to potential opportunities. You've got the likes of Bama, cage warriors, ACB, KSW. There's a lot of promotions um, out there at the moment um, that are really interested in British talent specifically. So, but let's not try to focus too much on the potential negative outcome. I'm just looking forward to a really passionate performance from both guys um they've both been there before you know they 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 fought in the o2 before they know what it's all about they know what it feels like um and for brits it's a you know it's a special occasion to be able to fight in the o2 arena in the capital in london so i'm just looking forward to the fight and uh, may the best man win
0: yeah it's interesting both guys um have alternated wins and losses in their last five fights and are coming and coming into this one off the back of a loss so, somebody's going to walk away continuing that trend, having alternated their wins and losses. Someone's going to come away with back-to-back losses. Uh, important fight for both men. An important fight for Ian M. Whistle in the fight that follows that on the card at bantamweight. Ian was due to fight at UFC 204 in Manchester and suffered uh, an illness during his weight cut and was unable to fight. Um, he is back and he's taking on arguably the toughest bantamweight opponent he could fight from the UK in Brett Johns, who is undefeated. He's absolutely on cloud nine right now after picking up a a thrilling win on his UFC debut in Belfast against Quan Ho Quack. Um, That was a really impressive performance from Brett Johns. As I say, he's taken on Entwistle. Entwistle's got a little bit to prove this weekend um, just to get to the cage on fight night because he he didn't look good at media day when we spoke to him in manchester looked very drawn looked quite quite pale and uh and then later later we discovered that he was taken ill unable to make weight uh his fight was off i think it's really important for him that he wins the battle of the build-up and actually just gets to fight night that'll be a victory in and of itself and then fight night obviously it's all about being competitive on the night we know he's dangerous with submissions. We know Johns is a high-paced, uh, a high-paced fighter. I think I think this could be an entertaining one. But it's two guys at very different points in their career. We talked about Bradley Scott and Scott askham both kind of at the same point. These yeah. two couldn't be further apart. You've got Em Whistle, who you feel like might be on his final go, against Brett Johns, who has just joined the UFC. He's riding a great win streak. He's a former Cage Warriors world champion, and he's got his first ufc win under his belt um momentum is is a lot in this sport and uh ent i think's up against it this weekend
1: yeah you hit the nail on the head i think johns is on cloud nine right now getting that first ufc win under his belt getting that first one is so important and if you can do it in your debut it has helped set the scene for the rest of your career you're off to a good start and we were both there in belfast towards the back end of 2016 uh great night for brett johns um, he's had a great journey and like you said he's undefeated so he doesn't know what it's like to taste a, a loss Ian Entwistle much like Bradley Scott and Scott Ascom, um, alternating wins and losses in his last couple of fights um, appears that you know making the weight is a bit of a struggle um, and so you know it's a shame where if you can just make the make the fight you know make the scales hit the weight and make it a fight night. if that's already a struggle coming into fight week um, you know, that's not exactly going to you know install anybody with any level of confidence. Um, but yeah, I'm picking if, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, th- I guess we're going to try and go through the fight card and, and try and, you know, pick as many, um, you know, uh, or make any as many predictions as possible. So I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to lean towards Brett Johns here. Just like you said, Simon, he's got momentum like no man's business.
0: Yeah, I think the smart money will probably go on Brett Johns. Talking to M Wessel in Manchester, he gave me a really interesting interview at the time. The previous fight he had, he was just pursuing the leg lock submission over and over and over and over again. He ended up getting TKO'd as a result. And uh, he told me that he he fought like an idiot. I, I'm, pr- I'm using his words, not mine. He said, I fought yeah. like an idiot. I fought like a moron. And I'm not going to do that again. I'm capable of doing other stuff. So I think, you know, once he gets in there on fight night, I would expect to see a more well-rounded Ian whistle. Obviously, he's got those fight-ending submissions, and they are seriously dangerous. Yeah. But if that's all you have, it's too predictable. So, and I think he's wise to that now. So, really looking forward to seeing just what kind of uh, what kind of approach he takes against someone like Brett Johns, who will be right in his face from the minute the bell goes. The next fight on the card at welterweight, for me. As soon as this fight card was complete, I'd I'd put a little X next to this fight as a potential fight of the night candidate. Leon Rocky Edwards against Vicente Luque. This fight could go a whole number of different ways. Vicente Luque is a superb striker, comes out of the Black Zillions camp. Leon Edwards, we know he can bang our Seth Buzinski, seven seconds in Krakow. But what we also know is that Leon Edwards has got a hugely underrated ground game. A hugely un- underrated ground game. Vicente Luque is a BJJ brown belt. So we've got these two guys who both love to stand and strike, but they've both got some grappling chops if and when the need arises. And I thought that the performance from from Leon Edwards against uh, Albert Tumenov last time out really did show us the the evolution of, of of rocky edwards as a fighter and uh is i'm finding it fascinating to watch because he's homegrown he's not someone who's gone overseas to hone his craft and spend months and thousands and thousands of pounds with an with with an att or with a black zillions or with a whoever he's he's homegrown and and uh what we're seeing is a product of british based training and it's 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 a real testament to how the sports developed in this country. He looks like a million dollars, but this fight this is a tough fight because Vicente Luque is legit and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's a tough one to pick as well.
1: It is and and I and I really loved um the Tumenov win. We were both there in Manchester at UFC 204 Cage Side for that one. And to be fair to to Tumanoff at the time, a lot of people were picking him to win um and i think at the time he was the bookie's favorite to win that fight and it was just great to see leon edwards like you said homegrown talent really take it to Tumanov, who had a lot of momentum coming into that fight of his own and almost steal his thunder and I, and I and that was the fight that for me i i thought to myself right you know what now leon edwards has really arrived on the world stage in the ufc and uh, this is a great follow-up fight for him um, it's going to be a tough one, like you said, Simon, because it's a, this is another tough one to pick. It's, it's funny because even though uh, at the at the top end of the card it doesn't have perhaps the sexiest names, the big, you know, massive, you know, draws, scattered throughout this fight card are some really, really well-matched-up competitive fights, and this is another one. Uh, like I said, Vincent Luque is phenomenal form at the moment. Um, he's coming into this fight, winning the last four, um, and uh, since he's kind of... Uh, left the ultimate fighter and came into the UFC proper. He hasn't lost. Um, and actually, his last win uh, against Bilal Mohammed um, via knockout in the very first round was very impressive. Uh, and that kind of made me really raise my eyebrows because I'd been following Bilal Mohammed Mah- uh, very closely and I was quite high on him. And then I, and I, and I wasn't too keen on Vincent Luque before that Bilal Mohammed fight. And that one just totally changed my perspective on looking at Vincent Luque in a completely different light. So this could go a lot of ways, like you said, Simon. I think we're dealing with two very comprehensive, well-rounded mixed martial artists. And I think this one could definitely be a fight of the night contender.
0: Yeah, you look at Luque's last four fights. They're all finishes. All finishes. Two submissions back-to-back, followed by two knockouts. Not TKO's, knockouts. He starched Hector Abina in Brasilia, got himself a bonus for that. And he he put away Bilal Mohamed. And uh, he did both of those in pretty quick, quick order as well. Really, really impressed with him. Leon, he's on a two-fight win streak himself. He's won four of his last five. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that fight. I think, you know, if you're picking out the fights that you're particularly looking forward to, that is definitely, definitely one of them. I'm really looking forward to that. Tom Breeze is breaking new ground in uh, in the middleweight division. He's moving up. He's moved up from 170 to 185 pounds. He takes on Oluwali, Bangbozi, and uh, to start off with, this has got to be a good thing for Tom Breeze. I don't know how he made 170 pounds. I have no idea. He's a huge man. He's a huge, huge man, and. Um, his story is an interesting one as well, Sandu, because he was over there in Montreal at TriStar and developing his game over there. He's he's left TriStar now. Yeah, he's back home. Um, he's back home, and he's got all the training he wants back here. And from what I understand, talking to him and talking to uh, talking to his management, he seems a much happier guy now, and I think. For whatever reason, that, that that move to Montreal just didn't work out for him personally. It works out for some. Like take take Joe Duffy, who's on this card as well. We'll talk about him in a bit. He seems to be really, really doing, really doing well and benefiting from being out there in that environment. Tom Breeze, it just hasn't worked out for him. And he seems a much, much happier man. He's in a better place. I think he's going to be fighting at a more healthy weight class for him. And uh, he's got himself a very interesting opponent. Because uh, Oluwali Bambozi is, uh, he's lively, let's put it that way. He's hes full of energy, he's bouncing around all over the place. He lost his last fight, but the fight before that, he was spectacular, putting away Daniel Serafian in a minute flat uh, in Pittsburgh. He's a very interesting fighter. He's susceptible to getting hit, though, uh, which might give Breeze all the invitation he needs. But this is Tom Breeze version 2.0, and I can't wait to see how different and how much better he looks compared to his welterweight days.
1: Yeah, I think not having to cut down too well to weight is going to be a massive boost for him in terms of just energy and uh, stamina and just his general output. Uh, and I think this is a good fight for him. I'm picking him to win this one. Uh, I'm not being biased just because I'm a Brit, but I do feel like oluwale Bambose, he's a hes a specimen uh, he of, a, of, of a man. And... Um, but I do feel like he's very wild, um, and all of his wins have come by knockout. He's got two losses on his record, but all of his wins have all come out come by first round knockout. And he does carry a hell of, hell of a lot of muscle um, on his body. So I feel like if Breeze can be cool, calm, and collected, uh, be technical, um, get past that first round, um, and just have some good head movement and some foot movement. And uh, just avoid some of the the wild punches and kicks that Bambose has been known to throw. I think you'll be all right. I think he'll take him into the latter stage of the second round, maybe the third round, and uh, I fancy Breeze to get the win, but yeah. probably by submission.
0: Yeah, I I think I think this is the sort of fight that will hopefully show new layers to Tom Breeze's game. Um, first off, he's going to have to deal with, on paper, what looks like is going to be a real striking onslaught in the first. In the first three or four minutes of the fight, and then that's when I think we'll see Bree start to take over. That's that's the theory, but when you're fighting a man who goes by the fighting nickname of the Holy War Angel, I think you have to, <laughs> you certainly need to be on your guard. And uh, yeah, as you say, that 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 record of his is ridiculous. <laughs> Five first round knockouts on the spin uh, during his days fighting for Ring of Combat. And uh, he picked up the middleweight championship for them and, and defended it. And lost to Uriah Hall by first round TKO. So he lives by the sword and dies by the sword a little bit. And in his most recent fight, Cesar Ferreira obviously took him into deep water and, uh, and drowned him over three rounds and beat him by decision. So really looking forward to that one as well. You know, it's, as you said, not the sexiest fight on the card, but a fun fight on the card, yeah. as is the next one. And this is another one that I've marked out as a one to watch. Mark Diakasey versus Timu Pakalan. Both these guys have put in some very impressive performances inside the Octagon. Diakasey, obviously, we're the Brit Pack. We've followed Diakasey. We've been high on this guy since his days in Bama, where he he worked his way into championship level, uh, picking up the, uh, I think it was the Lonsdale Championship then, and then moved his way up, got himself into the UFC, and uh, it's been a little bit rough around the edges at points, but... He's looking good. He's looking good and now he's got himself a fight against a fellow European prospect in Timu Pakalan. Another fun fight, Sandy.
1: It is and and I think for Mark uh, again it was, you know, just to get to the UFC was massive for him um coming up the the regional circuit here in the UK. Uh, and I think just, just get your wins, just just get your first couple of wins. In the ufc just just kind of set the tone he's still very very young he's still learning the game and developing and becoming better and i think this is a really good matchup um for his stage of the his, the stage of his career that he's in right now uh timo paklin um you know he's come up on the european circuit he's got um, a similar number of fights uh to mark diakasi but i think mark will thrive what like he did uh in manchester he'll thrive on fighting at home fighting in England, having that British support behind him. You know, we'll probably see him once again have that blonde streak of hair. And he's notable. He's a marketable fighter. You know, he's someone that you won't forget. Um, and so to fight for the first time at the O2 Arena in London will be massive for him. And uh, yeah, and uh, I think he'll do well. I'll probably pick him to win, um, if not by a, a late stoppage. I'm sure he'll do enough to, to take it on the judges' scorecard.
0: Yeah, well, my understanding is you mentioned his hair. I understand he's going for red this week. Okay, all right. Uh, So he's going for red. I don't know whether this is a Dan Hardy-inspired thing, because, you know, he's got the monopoly on the red Mohawk, but... I hope he's got permission first. Doesn't want any gimmick infringement stuff going on. <laughs> but but he's—I understand—he's rocking the red because he likes wearing the red shorts, and he's looking to coordinate. So, so there you go—a bit of a pre-fight news. This is this is—you know—this is what the Brit Pack likes to give you on a weekly basis. But taking on uh, Timu Packalen, Packalen looked really good in his last fight. Submitted Tebo Guti in just 24 seconds. Really, really impressive performance. That was at the O2 last year. Um, so he's going to feel comfortable in his surroundings back at the O2 again. But I think Diakese will have will have a clear advantage in the stand-up. And uh, if he can keep Pakalan off his back, I think he wins the fight. I think Pakalan's grappling is, is enough to give him give him a few questions to answer on the mat. But I think if, if Diakese fights smart, maybe uh, doesn't look to push the pace quite too aggressively... Then uh, I can see him picking him apart and eventually stopping him middle of the fight. But uh, I think that'll be a fun fight. And Mark Diakase is always fun to watch. Anyway, he's the sort of guy that if you know that there's a fight coming on and you see it's Mark Diakase, you're not going to you, you know that that is not a fight to go and have a pee break or make yourself a cup of coffee because you know something fun is likely to happen in that fight. The heavyweight fight between Daniel Omilanchuk and Timothy Johnson follows that. We have no British interest in this fight. What we do have are two heavyweights who have become regulars on the European uh, UFC shows. Omi Milanchuk is, is very much a regular on the European scene. And uh, Timothy Johnson has, uh, has, is beginning to become one as well. He fought in Zagreb against Marcin Tibera and beat him deservedly by decision. Uh, he then fought Alexander Volkov and lost by split in Belfast. I thought that Timothy Johnson won that fight. I remember watching that fight at the time and I thought Johnson did did enough to win the fight. Um, He's solid, he's unspectacular, but he'll just stand there and he'll trade with you all day long. Um, And uh, Omilanchak is a a big experienced guy with with, with heavy hands. Um, He's got kind of a half and half fight record. He's got, of, of his 11 wins, he's got five knockouts, five submissions. So there's no obvious obvious sort of waiting in terms of you'd rather take him to the mat or you'd rather stand and bang with him but um you know he's 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 one of those he's one of those where it's going to be interesting to see just just where we go in this fight he's a he's, he's a dangerous a dangerous heavyweight fight neither one of these guys are going to challenge for a championship belt anytime soon let's be honest um so it's five and four five and four uh for timothy johnson Knockouts and submissions. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how this fight goes. Have you got any leaning in this fight at all?
1: I honestly don't care one way or another about <laughs> this fight, Simon. <laughs> I, was I'm being honest. It, I was
0: trying to big it up. and then.
1: Well, you can, I know, you know, I know. And, I, and I'm the kind of, uh, I don't know. The voice the, of reason. The voice of reason to say, look, it's another fight on the card. It's a heavyweight fight. And I'm hoping it goes the way most heavyweight fights go, which is uh, an early knockout. Or, and this is what I fear, it could go the way of a long 15-minute, drawn-out, sloppy grapple fest where it's not really that entertaining and don't get me wrong I love my grappling as long as it's something that's progressive moving forward aggressive and um, you know you're aiming to get some ground and pound in uh, or or maybe you know get a submission um, and hey listen maybe these guys will do something that will just wow all of us and you know get a knockout of the night or something spectacular happens but right now um, my feelings are very very low Coming into this fight. So why don't we just move on to the next one, Sai?
0: Yeah. Omilan very quickly. He's had 19 wins. Three, three KOs. Nine submissions. Seven decisions. He doesn't mind going the distance. Um, Timothy Johnson. Ten fights. Five knockouts. Four submissions. He's only gone the distance once. So we want to hope that Timothy Johnson continues his run of uh, avoiding the judges' scorecards with the exception of his last fight. And uh, carries on with what he normally does, which he gets it done inside the distance. Now, that fight might be your p-break fight. I don't know. That's 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 for you to decide. But the next fight, I would suggest you definitely want to watch. Light heavyweight contest, British interest, and a backstory that you need to know. Darren Stewart is taking on Francis Marba at 205 pounds. This is a rematch of Darren Stewart's UFC debut. A fight that Darren Stewart won by technical knockout. And won clearly by technical knockout. It was then overturned by the Brazilian Commission to a no contest. Uh, The reason for that was, during the fight, Stewart punched Barroso in the eye. It's allowed. It happens. Uh, Barroso claimed an eye poke. Uh, The referee told them to fight on. They fought on. Darren Stewart stopped him with strikes... A matter of seconds later we're now we're now back in there they're having a rematch Stuart having I spoke to him after the decision got overturned to say that he was pissed would be an understatement he was livid I had to do a I had to seriously edit his quotes before they could be published just put it like that he wasn't happy and I, I don't blame him to be honest uh, it seemed like a very very controversial decision to overturn that decision. Um, and, uh, so what they basically decided was we're going to do this fight again. Stewart actually wants to campaign at 185 pounds, Sandy, but this fight is just dealing with some unfinished business and then he can move on. But you can expect a very, very fired up Darren Stewart, who has got some seriously heavy hands. So, uh, I'm looking forward to watching this one because I think we're going to see a man going out there clearly trying to prove a point. And looking to get just as quick a finish second time round.
1: Yeah, and it's another good story. You know, Darren Stewart, another Brit who's made made his way up on the on the regional circuit here. I remember covering um, one of his very early fights, uh, Cage Warriors, way, way back in the day, um, back in 2014. Um, and, you know, this no contest, fine, it's a no contest, but Darren Stewart hasn't suffered a loss yet in his professional career. And uh, I think everything that, I mean, this is a nice little story You know, you fought a Brazilian in Brazil, gets turned into a no contest, and now it's the rematch. You know, they're going to do it again, brother. And they're going to do it in London. You know, they're going to do it in Darren Stewart's backyard. So, um, you know, 37-year-old Barroso um, against uh, a young prospect in Darren Stewart, the dentist. And uh, I fancy Darren to get the job done. I I think there'll be lots of passion uh, coming through his performance. Um, So um, I think it'll be a, a, a fairly... Um, one side of performance to be fair I think Darren Stewart's going to get it done um, fairly easily against uh, Francie Marlborough. so that's just my humble opinion
0: you heard it here first Pat listeners chamat Karsandu is predicting a drilling from the dentist coming up next is the top top build prelim fight on the card Joseph Duffy against Razor, Mad Dog, Madaddy. Both these guys are big favourites of us on the Brit Pack for completely different reasons. One of them is one of the nicest, calmest, most level-headed men you can ever possibly wish to meet. And the other guy is a crazy man. And he's also lovely as well, but he is a crazy man. And uh, those two are going to go head-to-head in a clash of styles and a clash of personalities in the featured preliminary bout in London where do we start with this one sandu i think this one, for a start the weighing will be interesting uh, because razor medaddy always brings a strong weighing game joe duffy looks like he couldn't really give a stuff when he's weighing in he's just he's there he's weighing in it's normal razor Madaddy goes turns into something sort of terrifying on a weighing day so um yeah how 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 are you how are you looking forward to this one? There's, there's there's lots to pick over with this one, I think.
1: I think this is one of the most fascinating fights on the entire card, actually. Um, from Razor uh point of view, he's always Mr. Entertainment. Um, and obviously, had his you know, stint in prison. And since he came back, um, he's 1-1. One one, lost against Norman Park. Uh, and then, you know, got a win over Jan Cabral. And he's 38, Simon. Um, I don't know how many more years he, he's got left in him, but I've I I just got a gut feeling that if he wants to sustain his UFC career, he's going to need a win. Uh, and although, like you said, Simon, he's super entertaining, great interview, always brings the fireworks at the, at the weigh-ins, has one of the most entertaining face-offs ever, uh, always good for a, uh, um, you know, to get a picture or to get the video because once that goes out, it just gets gets your blood pumping for the actual fight, so he always brings the heat, but he needs to win. That's the bottom line. He needs to get string a few wins together. Now, what's very interesting about this fight is Joseph Duffy is fighting out his contract. This is the last fight on his current UFC contract. Um, they The UFC did make him an offer a while back to re-sign. He declined, wasn't happy with the offer, and just decided to to firehouse contract, and to test the free agency market. So, you know, and to go into the free agency market, you want to try and do it coming off a win, because I think that helps you with just being able to kind of um, negotiate and barter. Your stock is obviously a little bit higher. So lots riding um, for one Joseph Duffy. So it'll be I'm, – I'm really excited about the fight for so many different elements uh the 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 mad dog element of Razor Madadi and then the contractual situation of Joseph Duff, Duffy and what he does um post fight as well. So fascinating by the fight.
0: Yeah they both need a win for, for sort of similar reasons but slightly different reasons. Madadi wants to continue his career in the UFC and uh Joseph Duffy wants to wants to secure his next contract with whoever or whichever promotion uh that, that ends up being, whether that be the UFC, whether that be Bellator or, or elsewhere. Um, but you're uh, you know you're dead right. He needs to come off with a big win. He put up a very impressive victory last time round um, against Mitch Clark. Uh, quick, quick finish. I rocked him with a punch. Took his back. Finished him. 25 seconds. Start the car. Easy. Um, and uh, Razor Madadi. Uh, it took him a little longer to get his... Most recent victory, uh, a fight that he really had to work hard for, but he got the win, and boy, did he need it! And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing which person is gonna is gonna progress and move forward after that one. This moves us on to our main card. Four fights on the main card. Why are there only four fights on the main card? I hear you ask. That is because uh, they want it on TV, and the main card is the televised part of the card here in the UK. Everybody else gets it exclusively live on UFC Fight Pass. Here in the UK, the top four fights will also be live on BT Sport 2, I believe. Uh, Arnold Allen versus Makwan Amir This is a fight that we knew would be on this card almost from the minute the event was announced. It might even have been the first fight that I heard about. Um, And at 145 pounds, you will go very far to find two more exciting prospects from this part of the world at that weight class than Arnold Allen and Makwan Amekani. It's really interesting that they're being matched up against each other at this point in their careers. Um, And one of them, I think, is going to be propelled towards a ranked opponent in their next fight. But either one of these guys, I think, could really do some damage as they start to move up the rankings. One of them is going to come away with a defeat this weekend. It's a tough, tough ask for both guys. Arnold Allen... Macwan Amir Khani, what do you think, Sandy? We know both these guys pretty well. Um, how do we think this is going to shake out?
1: I really don't know, and that's what I love about this fight. This, for me, is the fight of the entire card. This is the fight I'm looking forward to most. Uh, you've got Arnold Allen here. Triple A, almighty Arnold Allen. And you mentioned earlier on, Simon, that Tom Brees had gone out to Montreal to, to the TriStar gym. And it didn't work out for him, but it's worked out for Arnold Allen. He's out there. Joanne Calderwood's out there. Joseph Duffy's been out there. That is his home gym. Um, he actually, I think, I just saw a social media update where he just arrived uh, a couple of days ago back back to to England. He is definitely one of the up and coming um, rising stars of the UK MMA scene. Even though technically he's now training out of Canada, um, he's someone who's got a lot of upside. You know, he's still only 23 years old. And, um, you know, it's gone all right for him in the UFC so far. I, I think that his last performance against Janssen Meza wasn't one for the highlight reel whatsoever. Uh, and I think, you know, he's someone that openly admitted that he, he thought he'd do better than what he actually did. And on the other side of the card, you've got Makwana Amir someone who's also changed up his training camp, left the All-Stars gym in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, Uh, a gym that he called home for quite some time. And since he last fought, and that was against Mike Wilkinson. Jesus Christ, Simon, it's been over a year um, since he last fought. And I've caught up with him intermittently. Uh, He's had a few injuries and a few bits and pieces, but he's also changed up his camp. He's now training in the world famous SBG camp in Dublin, Ireland, alongside the likes of Conor McGregor and Artem Lobov and training under, world-famous head coach, John Kavanagh. This is going to be the first time that Amir um, Amir Khani is going to be performing and fighting um, since moving to the Sbg camp. So, again, another European prospect, um, you know, a little bit more versed in in the the pro scene versus Arnold Allen. uh, Makwani's uh, 28 years old. He's been around for a while now. But I do feel that... There's slightly more pressure on Makwani, just given the stage of his career. I think he's been out for a year now, and you've really started to go, you've got, you've got to push on now. Now, he's been in the UFC. He's got three wins. Fantastic. But what's the ceiling? Let's see you kick on, push on. Um, if he's able to beat Allen, then I want to see him really get a top 15 ranked opponent and see how far he can go. But going to be a very tough fight. Flip a coin. I don't know which way it's going to go, and that's why it's so exciting.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. I think both guys will be coming into this with a certain amount of pressure from within, really. Um, You look at Arnold Allen. He's had two fights in the UFC. The first one, he stepped in at relatively short notice to take on Allen Omer. Um, Had to overcome some adversity in that fight before eventually getting the guillotine choke submission finish in the third round. Yautzin Meza, as you said before, wasn't his best day at the office. We haven't seen the best of arnold allen under the ufc banner yet could this be the time for him to produce that on saturday night then you've got makwan who he's a very entertaining uh, fighter to talk to outside of the cage he announced himself in the ufc in about as spectacular a way as you could possibly imagine uh, charging across the cage and and hitting andy ogle with a flying knee and finishing him in eight seconds in stockholm he then finished maceo fullen In Berlin in the first round before. Grinding out Mike Wilkinson uh, in dominant fashion over three rounds last year at the O2. The question for Makwan Amekani is... can Can you finish another top prospect and propel yourself? For Alan, it's... Can you get that landmark finish inside the UFC? Fascinated to see what happens in that fight. Also... Fascinated for slightly different reasons to see what happens in the bantamweight clash on the main card. Brad One Punch Pickett, uh, beloved of this particular parish, is hanging up his gloves after this fight. It's, uh, it's the end of a long road for, for the Londoner. He was due to face uh, Henry Briones. It was the third attempt to make a fight with Henry Briones. And the third time that Henry Bionez has pulled out of the fight. They needed a fight, and with a week to go, Marlon Chito Vera accepted the call. He's, I assume he's in England now. If he isn't, he's probably in the air on the way over. Um, So he is going to step in and take on Brad Pickett for the final fight of One Punch's remarkable mixed martial arts career. He's on a tough run of results right now, Brad, I think he's he's lost three, he's lost five out of his last six. And the one that he won was a very, very, very close split decision against Francisco Rivera in London last February. Um, he's taken on Chito Vera, who was beaten in that same event by... Or was it, or was it Manchester? It might have been Manchester. By Davy Grant. Um, and uh, the question now is, can Pickett round off his career with the win that he so dearly wants in front of his, his hometown. He I arguably could have hung his gloves up in the octagon in London last year. And I remember we spoke about it, Sandu. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, he's had two fights and he's lost them both. Um, he wants to go out on a win. He needs to go out on a win. And I think the crowd will take the roof off the off the O2 if he gets it.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one, Sai, because we both agreed that a year ago at the O2 with Bisping and Anson Silva headlining, there was a massive spotlight on that card and for Brad Pickett to get a win. And it'd been a while since he won in the octagon. That was the perfect moment to go out on a high, to get a win in front of the, you know, the old faithful, you know, the London crowd. And, but it's always a double-edged sword. You you come in off uh, a bunch of losses. You finally get your hand raised in victory. And all of a sudden, you think you've got it. And you can go a few more fights. And you've got one more run left in you. And it hasn't worked out for Brad Pickett over the course of the last year. Lost against Yuri Alcantara. Lost against Uriah Faber, which was eventually his retirement fight. You know, And Fa- Faber is kind of poetic that Faber beat Pickett. In his backyard, in his hometown, and he went on a high and rode off into the sunset in retirement. Now, having said that, Brad Pickett has got an opportunity here to fight Cheeto Vera on short notice. He Brad Pickett's the one coming in with a full camp. Touch wood, nothing goes wrong on the scales on Friday morning. No one eats any sushi. No, it's been a, so much bad luck has been happening with bantamweights um, over the course of the last kind of like six months or so. Um, so fingers crossed the fight goes ahead because this is a time and this is the place. It's in London. It's at the O2 Arena. Brad Pickett for me, and maybe we can talk about this more on next week's episode um, where we can reflect a little bit more on, on how things went and the results. Brad Pickett is still going to be known for me um, as someone that was a fan favorite from the UK and will definitely still be known um, as someone that is on that short list, that very short list of, of of fighters that have beaten Demetrius Johnson, arguably the pound for pound best fighter in the planet right now, um, so he's got that little feather in his cap. But um, that's all so, that's all you know something for us to romanticize about after the fact. Um, I think uh, the best thing he can do is just try not to let the emotions of the occasion get to him because he's put it out there. This is a retirement fight. Right? So uh, I think I think it's just important for him to stick to his game plan, do what he does best, don't get caught, get the win, and then enjoy the moment.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Do you know he's not had back to back wins since twenty twelve. That's See. that's that's how checkered a career he's had since then. He's a guy he, he he always says yes when the phone rings, you know, and he's some of the names he's been in there with, you know, Eddie Wineland, Michael McDonald, Ian McCool. Thomas Almeida, Yuri Alcantara, you know, Uri Faber. These are all people he's been in with and unfortunately he's come out on the wrong side, but he's also picked up an awful lot of respect, an awful lot of fight, uh, post-fight bonuses and uh, and an awful lot of fans. And uh, I think it would almost be poetic justice for him to go out on a winning note on Saturday night. Um, We're not supposed to be biased as journalists, but as a Brit, it would be it would be nice to see Brad go out uh, on a winning note, put his gloves down in the octagon in his hometown. You know, it's not often you get that opportunity to do that. Um, so, I think for everything he's given to the sport and for everything that he's done uh, for the sort of the Zufa era of the sport, fighting in the WEC, then going on and representing. The UK with with uh, with class throughout his career. You know, you never read anything negative about Brad Pickett. You know, you never you never hear an interview with him and think of him in a negative light. You always, you know, he, he's he's a classy guy. He's a fun bloke to chat to. He's a good ambassador for the sport. And uh, I'm pleased that this is going to be his, his final fight in his hometown. Fingers crossed, he goes away uh, with a win. That. Is not the co-main event, however. That's the that's the second fight on the on the main card. Co-main event. No British interest in this, but we have one hell of a fight at 170 pounds. Gunnar Nelson against Alan Joban. This is a proper proper fight at 170 pounds. Gunnar Nelson. We know all about him on this side of the pond. Uh, he's had a lot of fights in Europe. He's had quite a few fights uh, in England and Ireland. Trains out of SBG. His last win was against Albert Tumenov. Impressive submission that won him a performance of the night bonus. He went the distance with Damian Meyer. How many people can say that? And he spent the distance on the mat with Damian Meyer uh, and survived. Which, uh, granted, Meyer's jiu-jitsu was at a different level to Nelson's. But Nelson was good enough to go the distance. Which I think is is, 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 is a feather in any fighter's cap. If you find yourself with Damian Meyer uh, on your back for three rounds, if you can get to the finish, you you know you've earned yourself a you've earned yourself a stiff drink. So um, and he's 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 been through, he's beaten some he's beaten some good guys, he's beaten some good guys, you know, George Santiago, Amari Akmedov, Zach Cummins, these are all solid, solid competitors at UFC level. And he's beaten two men off last time out. He takes on Ban, who is coming off well he's on a three foot win streak. Beat Mike Perry in a cracking fight in uh, Sacramento. Really exciting fight. Another one that we put a little mark next to and say, make sure you're watching this one because this one could be a cracker. Clash of styles as well, Sandu.
1: Absolutely. I think Alan Jaban is finally starting to put it together, and Gunnar Nelson is also starting to put it together. But and and although you know, with all due respect, they're MMA fighters. This is. As close to a grappler versus striker matchup as you're likely to get at this level, I think if Alan Band can keep the fight on their feet and standing, then I definitely favour him. I'm not too sure if I favour him to knock out Gunnar Nelson, um, but I because just because Nelson's never been knocked out, um, and, and to my knowledge, I don't even think he's been knocked down, uh, but I could be wrong. But um, he's definitely not been knocked out before, but I can see Joe Ban, you know, um, being aggressive, staying on the outside, ducking and moving. Um, don't get into the pocket or any situation against the cage where perhaps Nelson can take you down. And on the, on the flip side, Nelson is looking to do exact, exactly that, is try and get the fight to the ground where he is, you know, like you said, he's not Damien Meyer, but he's the next best thing. And that's pretty damn good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of strategy and style comes out on top. But when it comes to meritocracy and two guys who aren't too far away from, you know, that top seven, that top eight, that top nine list of fighters in the uh, in the welterweight division. You know, I think the winner can definitely take advantage, move on, and maybe get a top five opponent if, uh, if you know, things go their way after this fight. Yeah, I'm
0: interested to see... It's going to be all about who who can dictate the location of the fight, if that makes sense. Yeah. People talk about range. Talk, people talk about pace. This is going to be all about where the fight actually takes place. Is it going to take place in the stand-up? Is it going to take place on the mat? If it takes place on the mat, there's probably only one winner. If it takes place in the stand-up, we've got ourselves a contest because Gunnar Nelson is no mean striker himself. He's got a bit of the old uh, Lyoto Machida striking thing going on, and uh, he's got the ability. I mean, he dropped Albert Tumenov in that fight, and Albert Tumenov is obviously, you know, a well-renowned striker, and uh, he dropped him before he submitted him. So, he's got good, good striking, good striking. Uh, but Jo Ban's wheelhouse is obviously standing and standing and, and, and fighting in the, in the uh, in the striking realm rather than on the mat. So, interesting to see whether. Gunnar Nelson looks to pursue the takedown early. One of the big criticisms of Nelson is that he doesn't fight like someone who knows he's on a time limit. Mm. Uh, I've always said that if you're fighting at welterweight Gunner, and, and there's no time limit, Gunnar Nelson will, evan- will eventually find a way to beat you. Um, and the fights that he's lost have tended to be fights, with the possible exception of Meyer, have tended to be fights where Time ran out on him, rather than him being beat. If that makes more, if that makes sense, um, the Rick Story fight is the one that comes to mind. Um, he he just hadn't worked out what he needed to do in time to beat Rick Story, um, and he, he he ran out of time. And uh, I think this fight we need him to be super aggressive, like he was against Tumenov. And if he is, we've got ourselves an absolute banger of a co-main event. But speaking of bangers, the main event, um, Corey Anderson taking on Jimmy the Poster Boy Manoa. Jimmy Manoa is coming off the best win of his mixed martial arts career, without doubt. I've spoken to him and I've spoken to other people about Jimmy's career as well. And the thing that has always stood out to me is that I've watched him go through the domestic ranks and I've probably seen more of him than any other fighter in terms of live appearances and he destroys people. He absolutely takes people apart. But he hadn't had that highlight reel finish in the UFC. And it, it always felt like if only he gets that. You know, if, if he could get that, people would wake up to just how good this guy could be. And he was always pretty cool about it. He was like, it'll come eventually. Don't worry, it'll come eventually. Well, it came at UFC 204 in Manchester against Ovin St. Uh a guy who was expected to beat him if you looked at the odds before the fight and uh he stopped osp from taking him down that's the work of all stars really taking his uh, his his uh defensive wrestling to a completely new level and that allowed him to fight from where he is at his best in his standing uh kickboxing range and he absolutely starched osp right in front of dana white and uh, picked himself up a fifty thousand dollar bonus into the bargain as well. Now he's got himself Corey Anderson, another tricky opponent, a guy who is going to want very little of his stand up. I would imagine. I think we're going to see a wrestling heavy attack from Anderson. If 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 uh, Manoa stops Anderson from taking him down, then uh, it, you know we could well see another big win for Jimmy Manoa. If Manoa has to spend five rounds fighting off his back. Um, it might be a tricky one but it's it's a really close one we've got a wrestling specialist against the striking specialist um, and it's going to be all about who can who can impose their their style on the other fascinating contest
1: it really is uh, the UFC haven't gone with this particular narrative uh, which is fine uh, but I maintain the story coming into this um, this weekend's main event is Jimmy Manua being able to roll back Go back to 2013 when he lost in the main event in the O2 Arena against his now full-time training partner, Alexander Gustafsson. A night where he would have had friends and family, lots of his hardcore, passionate London fans in attendance, and he lost. And he lost by knockout in devastating fashion. That would have been a good night for Jimmy. Probably bruised his ego and bruised his pride. And I think that's the storyline of the angle here is to come back a few years later, and actually get his hand raised in victory in the O2 Arena. The thing is, I think for a lot of our p- perhaps international listeners, they don't understand uh, what it means for fighters, uh, British fighters specifically, not just to fight in England, but to find the capital and fight in the O2 Arena. We're both old enough to remember when the O2 Arena was the Millennium Dome. It was one of the, uh, the special attractions and special uh, buildings uh, that were made in the build up to the year 2000, and uh, and subsequently it, it was bought out by by O2 and turned into an all purpose arena. And over the course of the last fifteen years or so, it's now really started to kind of uh, create a lot of amazing memories, host a lot of you know special events, and um, it's got a bit of an aura about them it. I and it's got some kind of prestige about being able to fight and compete in any sport um, in that particular arena. So I think that's the angle here it's for him to kind of get that monkey off his back and not just get the monkey off his back, but if he can get a win, like we were talking about earlier on in the show, Simon, I think then he's just one win away from potentially being say, hey, I've done enough now, I deserve a title shot. Now, whether that's with Shogun, whether that's with perhaps a Glover share, or perhaps even Gustafsson, like I said, I'm, I'm really not sure in 2017 that him and Gustafsson are going to fight each other unless it's perhaps for a title. Right, I'm just really not sure. They may, they may very, you know, may, you know, they may fight. I'm not sure, um, but I doubt it. I doubt it because the relationship's a lot stronger than it was the last time they fought. But um, you know, Corey Anderson, he's a game opponent. Um, you know, this is a massive opportunity for him um, to fight in a main event, and um, you know. But I, I think my gut and my head tell me that everything's being lined up for a Jimmy Manuel win here. I think over the course of five rounds, at one stage or another, he's got his left hook or his or his right hook or a right uppercut or or something is going to find the target, and that target is going to be Corey Anderson's chin, and I think he's going to knock him out.
0: I I think that is a I I think that is a distinct possibility as well. I think that is a distinct possibility as well. You look at Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson is someone who gradually breaks you down. He wears on you um and the finishes that he's had in the UFC have been late they've been in the third round um he hasn't knocked out someone early since he beat Matt Van Buren in the tough finale and Matt Van Buren was I think pretty undersized in that fight so it's um it's going to be it's going to be a a situation where Anderson is going to look to control Manoa early on he's going to look to stifle him and try and sap the strength and draw out the power early and then look to work on him towards the end of the round. The fact that it's five rounds, I think, may play to Jimmy Manu's benefit because that's five restarts, right? Even if he gets taken down and held down for the entirety of a round, he's got five restarts. And at the start of each round, he's in his wheelhouse. And as you say, he's behind Anthony Rumble-Johnson, Probably the most destructive striker in that USC light heavyweight division. Um, and to me, we've seen glimpses of it in past fights. But against OSP, it looked to me like he'd finally pieced it all together. We had the takedown defence absolutely on point. There was no problem there. The striking was patient. He wasn't throwing throwing knockout shots with every single punch. He was throwing set-up stuff as well. And it just he just looked... He looked like someone ready to make that jump, to so really announce himself as a contender, and I think he looks a completely div- uh, different, more evolved animal than he was when uh, when he fought Alex Gustafsson back in uh, when was it, twenty fourteen, March twenty fourteen. So, you know, it might only have been four fights ago, but I think we've seen a we've seen a, a like a huge quantum leap in Jimmy Manu's progression. And uh, the one thing that is always there, however, is that fight ending knockout power. And uh, if he can finish the night with a bang, then he's going to send all of those, all of those London fight fans home happy. That is UFC Fight Night 107, Manoa versus Anderson. That takes place on Saturday night, March 18th at the O2 Arena in London. If you are in the UK and in the London area, there, there are a few bits and pieces going on. Uh, during fight week, we have we've got some good guest fighters, Sandu, who are, who are coming over. We've got Claudio Godella is coming over. Francis Nagano is going to be here. Um, Mickey Gall is going to be here. And who am I forgetting? Someone pretty substantial is coming over. Uh, oh, crikey, I've completely blanked. Misha Tate. Misha Tate is coming over. There you go. So that's a strong lineup of guest fighters. There's going to be uh, meet and greet and Q and A and all that stuff happening on Wayne Day. Get yourself down to the O2, uh, I believe. All of that is free, uh, so get yourself down there for Wayne Day. Check UFC Europe on Twitter for the uh, all the times and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Wayne's, of course, will follow that at the O2, and uh, the fights, of course, on Saturday night. Sandu. That wraps up most of what we were going to talk
1: about. Uh, Should we do some Q&A before we get out of here? Let's do it. And let's get right into it. We've got Paul James who uh, tweets in with a two-parter. And he says, Do you think that if Gastelum gets his weight issues sorted, he's good enough to be a two-weight champion? And the second part of the question is, He's off to the O2 this weekend. It's his very first event. Anything you can recommend doing before the event? So, yeah. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) get get, get yourself a cheeky Nando's at the O2 Arena. So that answers the second part of the question. But Gastelum being a two-weight champion, how about he just becomes a a champion in one weight class first and we figure out what that weight class is and and, and just take it from there. Um, Let's just pump the brakes on anyone being a two-weight champion. It's only been done a handful of times ever in the 20-plus year history of the UFC. Uh, just because Conor McGregor did it last year and just because GSP could potentially do it this year doesn't mean it's going to become a regular occurrence. It's very, very difficult to do it in one weight class. So, I don't know, Simon, do you want to, do you want to weigh in any more than that? It is, it,
0: is, it is incredibly difficult to do. But Kelvin Gasolin could do this. <laughs> he could do this. He looks brilliant at middleweight, and he's, only, he's basically still a kid in fighting terms you give him another 2 3 years he's going to be a monster and if during that time he's able to hone his weight cutting a little bit he could he could become he he's got the ability what he needs to do is just tighten up on some of the aspects of how he manages his his, his body weight this is coming from a fat guy so i mean i wouldn't <laughs> take this much critique from me that's for sure but If he can sort out his weight-cutting situation, I see no reason why he can't make 170. And if he can make 170, yes, he can win the world title within the next five years. As a middleweight, yeah, he could potentially win the world title in there. It'd be a tougher ask. Can you imagine Kelvin Gastelum against Luke Rockhold as an example? Just Just from a physical standpoint, Rockhold is a great big guy with a huge reach, likes to use his kicks a lot gasoline would have to walk through an awful lot of punishments just to get his hands on him so from from just a sheer size point of view it's a tougher ask ability wise no question he could be a world champion at either of those weight classes but I, i i do all joking aside agree with you pick a weight class and go for the world title and and once you've got that world title defend it that would it's becoming a novelty it shouldn't be a novelty if you're a world champion you shouldn't be immediately looking to jump weight classes. You shouldn't be immediately looking for a money fight. You should be immediately looking to clear out your division is what you should be doing. You should be doing a Demetrius Johnson. You should be saying, who's next? You tell me who's next. I'll be creosoting my fence or looking after the family or going down to the gym. You ring me and tell me who the next best guy is and I'll beat him too. That's what Demetrius Johnson does. That's what everybody should do because championships need to matter again. Make the UFC great again. Here ends the uh, political broadcast from the Brit Pack Party.
1: Next question. The, the People's Hero tweets in and says, When it's all said and done, what is Brad Pickett's legacy? We spoke about this a little bit earlier on. We were talking about his fight, Simon. And, and for me, he's going to be remembered as a, as a UK fan favourite. Someone that will always, like you said, Simon say yes when the call comes in. Somebody's got a win over Demetrius Johnson, which not too many people can later claim on that. And, um, you know, fingers crossed if all goes well for him on Saturday night, at least he could say he goes, goes out in a win. That remains to be seen. But from a personal point of view, from a media member's point of view, he's been a great interview, always um, has got time for you. Um, he's always been open um, and never skirted around any issues or questions, he kind of just tells it like it is. Um, he's he's a common man, Simon. He's almost like the Dusty Rhodes in a way of the UK MMA scene. He's a common man. He's he's one of the people. Um, you know, he's never kind of done the whole Mayweather thing where he's kind of flashing jewelry or uh, the bling or the cars or the fancy suits. You know, he's a he's a, he's a working class fighter. And he's, uh, he's 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 one of the people, the working class uh, people here in the UK. That's how I think his legacy um, will will be said and done when it's all said and done.
0: Yeah, you, you, you're dead right. He doesn't walk around in suits. This is a man who used to, before the Reebok deal came in, used to walk to the Octagon in a vest and braces, and wearing and wearing a, a trilby hat. Thankfully he still is able to wear his Trilby hat, which is a tribute to his grandfather. He used to be a bare-knuckle boxer. Um, But the two things that that, that I will always remember about Brad, uh, long after his fight career finished, number one, he's got... And people in America will not get this. They will disagree with this. They will tell me that this is an English thing and it makes no sense. But the fact that he walks out to Chaz and Dave for me is brilliant. I love Chaz and Dave. It is the most quintessentially London soundtrack. It you know, as a kid growing up, I remember Chaz and Dave, um, and uh, the fact that he walks out to Chaz and Dave, he walks out to gertia by Chaz and Dave, which is just classic. That will always, always stick with me. And the other thing is, uh, it was in Nottingham. He fought Eve, Eve uh in Nottingham. I was uh, I was cage side for that fight, and it was the fight where. He really did deliver as advertised. He's Brad One Punch Picket. And he knocked out Yves Jabray with a, a flying uppercut. He just leapt in, hit him with an uppercut, and celebrated by doing the gangnam style dance. And that 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 was that was highlight real material um for, for the next week or so. Absolutely brilliant stuff. And that for me, if you were saying who is one punch picket, you showed a Chaz and Dave walkout with the vest and the braces. And then you show him knocking out Yves Jabouet with one punch. And then you see him dancing around the octagon like an idiot. (laughs) Because he's just a fun-loving guy who's just, what do I do? I know, I'll do Gangnam style. And that's what he did. And for me, that's Brad Pickett. He, He fights like I'd like to think most of us would like to try and fight if we ever got in there and had a go. He just puts his balls on the line every time. Sometimes he wins. Sometimes he loses. Um, but you know you're going to get some action when he gets in there.
1: Legend. Simba Moshi tweets in and says, if Makwan Ameyakani performs as well as he has been performing, who do you match him up against next? And Simon, we spoke about this earlier on in the show. It's a pick em fight. It really is. Um, but considering... His age is 28. He's got double-digit number of fights on his pro record now. If one can get the, the win over Arnold Allen, and it's a big if because it's going to be a very evenly contested fight, I really want to see him matched up against a ranked opponent, somebody in the top 15. And I'm talking someone maybe between 10 and 15. Looking at the rankings right now, you've got Brian Ortega, Dennis Bermudez, Darren Elkins, the Superboy, Duho Choi, Henan Burrell, Misad Bektik. Someone of that ilk, somebody of that calibre. That's who I would like to see McQuan go up against next if he wins. Am I right in saying that? Is that where what what your thoughts are as well? Yeah, I think so.
0: I think so. I maybe maybe he needs one more before you throw him to one of those guys. Just You reeling off those names there, they are some serious killers. And you look at 15, Masar Bektik is ranked 15th in that featherweight division. And Masad Bektik, granted he got beat by Darren Elkins, but he's a killer, he's an absolute killer, and I think a jump a jump to that level is a significant jump. That's not to say he's not capable of achieving it, but it's a significant jump nonetheless, which makes me wonder if if maybe one more fight just outside that that featherweight top fifteen might not be a terrible idea, and then stick him in there. I quite like the idea of him facing Dennis Bermudez I don't know why I just I just think stylistically I think that might be interesting. Brian Ortega I think the styles might might mesh quite nicely um, but uh, or, you know even Darren Elkins da- you know Darren Elkins is someone who likes to likes to grind on opponents and work on the mat and I think from a grappling perspective where Mac one is at his best is when he's wrestling and he's got the fight on the mat. That would be a really interesting fight against a guy who does not get beat easily. So, um, that would be a serious test. If you're Darren Elkins, you're looking further up the list than that, of course. But, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. And, of course, he's got the the, the not inconsiderable job of dealing with uh, our Arnold Almighty Allen first. Uh, who, I guess, if he wins, you could flip the question to him. I mean, I, I, I think both guys maybe need one more win just outside... That featherweight top fifteen before you throw him to the walls. but that's just me. I think maybe one more, maybe one more.
1: Fair play. Well, I mean, the main thing I want to see Maquan do, regardless or whether he wins or loses on Saturday, I just want to see him fight more consistently. Yeah. He's been out for a year. Um, I've got a kind of a weird fancy of him returning to Stockholm. I don't know if he can, turn, you know, turn around in that short amount of time and and fight on that Stockholm card in May, but just to return to his old stomping ground. Um, you know a city he must know really well by this uh, by this stage having spent so many years at the All Stars gym uh, that would be an interesting uh, angle going into that particular card but let's get London out of the way first and see how things pan out both for Allen and for McQuarney. the uh, the final question comes in from Navi who says what is next for Edson Barbosa so edson barbosa coming into this past weekends uh, card in Fortaleza was ranked at number five. Ahead of him is Rafael Dos Anjos, who I believe sooner or later will be removed from these rankings and, uh, and shifted over to the welterweight ranking as he's going to be moving weight classes. So I think automatically you're going to see Edson Barbosa jump up at least one position to number four. We spoke about it a little bit earlier on, Simon. You've got the potential of the Tony Ferguson fight, potentially. If uh, if Khabib doesn't work out for Tony, or if Nate Diaz doesn't work out for Tony, uh, but I just look at you know a couple of you know spots behind Edson, you've got Michael Chiesa who's looking for a fight, and uh, and again I think the main thing Edson can do for the remainder of 2017 is just to uh, be consistent, remain active, um, you know, stay in the spotlight, don't disappear, um, and who knows, you know, sometimes things can happen where you might be called upon to, to fill in in a major spot. Uh, but I, I've got a dirty feeling that he may be at least for the for the the short term he might be getting the Damian Meyer, Yol Romero treatment um, hopefully it's not for too long remember you, the WMEIMG, they're just trying to get through this the next couple of quarters because they've got this uh, massive financial target to hit so they're changing the rules a little bit in terms of how they matchmaker what kind of fights they put on hopefully it's a short-term strategy long term they'll hopefully revert back to what we all want to see is fights based on meritocracy and ranking and so forth.
0: Yeah. Well, there's options here, right? And if you're looking purely at rankings, it's tricky. Um, you mentioned Chiesa. Yeah. Chiesa is a fight that could be made from, I, I, I sometimes look at it from a stylistic point of view as well. I would rather see Chiesa fight Khabib. I've got to be honest. I think, I think that, that fight, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, If Khabib isn't going to fight Tony Ferguson, that is. If they're going to penalise Khabib and say, you're going to have to move down the ladder and prove you can make weight again before you fight for gold, then that's the fight I would make for him. I think Michael Johnson is a possibility. Michael Johnson has fought Edson Barbosa in the past and beaten him uh, by decision. Uh, But that was two years ago in Porto Alegre at UFC Fight Night, Bigfoot versus Mir. Um... That would be a, 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 an all-striking match-up. I think that would be an interesting fight to watch again. Um, and uh, we know he lost to Ferguson. Sandwiching those two losses, by the way, the loss to Ferguson and the loss to Johnson, was a win against Paul Felder. And if you really have nothing else to do with him, and you can't find another opponent, and you just want to put on an absolute banger of a fight, put Paul Felder back in there with him again. That was an outstanding match. And And... Felder, Felder will give anybody a fight, that was a fight of the night winner, back in July 2015, Uh, has no ranking ramifications at all, if you're just looking to sort of keep him, keep him active while treading water in the rankings, why not, give him Paul Felder again, I've got no qualms about that, no one's going to get upset by that matchup, because it's, it's a fight that you know is going to deliver fireworks on fight night, there's a few options there, but Ferguson would be my first one, but um, I would also prefer to see Ferguson face Nate Diaz. I don't think Nate Diaz would ever fight Edson Barboza, but I wouldn't mind see that either. So, yeah.
1: What's definitely interesting is this lightweight division. Uh, there's lots at play for a lot of fighters in that top five, top six, and it's going to be interesting to see how things play out, especially in the next couple of months. Whether Khabib comes back before Ramadan, whether he waits, um, you know, if Tony Ferguson accepts a fight because he just come off what was probably. Um, you know, his best camp. He looked in absolute fantastic condition. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be interesting times. And Edison bobboza of course, coming off a flashy flying knee knockout. That was the last question, uh, short and sweet this week. But as always, if you want to shoot your questions over uh, for the show, uh, feel free to do so at any time throughout the week. The handle you want is at the Brit Pack MMA. Um, that will make sure that that question reaches us. I'll then monitor it Give it a like so that you know it'll be asked on the show, and uh, and that is the end of this week's Q and A, Simon.
0: Great stuff. Couple for you, Mr. Sandu. True or false? Floyd Mayweather has called out Conor McGregor to fight in June. In June, true or false? That fight happens in June.
1: Well, you're putting me on the spot now, Simon. I am. Um, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be ballsy. And I'm going to say it's true for two different reasons. Number one, we know that the UFC, like I mentioned before, have got this massive financial target to try and hit, um, to hit some uh, financial payouts and bonuses and what what have you. And let's face it, the UFC pay-per-view so far in 2017 haven't exactly been setting the world on fire. You know what would? A Mayweather-McGregor boxing match where the UFC's got a cut of that pay-per-view. Even if it's a small cut, it'll be a nice little payday for them. And apparently, the rumor mill is that the T-Mobile Arena has been reserved for June 20th. I believe that's the date uh, in June. So for a potential McGregor-Mayweather fight. Listen, I'm just going to say yes, because I hope it happens, because the sooner it happens... The better, then we can just move on with the whole damn toe. And also, if, if we know it's going to happen, at least we can just enjoy it for what it is. And, and I don't want to have a six month, nine month build up. If it's going to happen, let's get it done in the next couple of months and then we can move on with our lives.
0: Yeah, I think Floyd Floyd is so smart. He really is. <laughs> the fight, you know, it feels like it's getting closer to happening, doesn't it? It feels like it's getting closer to, from being a complete, completely uh, wild ridiculous story it now feels like this 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 incredible story might actually come to fruition but asking for June is so smart why because it gives mcgregor very little time to get ready Mm -hmm. for his first ever professional boxing match against the greatest well certainly the greatest boxer of his generation so amazing amazing i think september's more likely but I'm not ruling anything out at this stage. This is this is this is a story that uh, hopefully we'll 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 get to you know we'll get to a, a conclusion eventually, whether it be June, whether it be September. You said it was going to happen in June. I'm going to say it's not going to happen in June, but it's going to happen in September. And that is the first time I've ever gone on record as saying the fight is going to happen. I've said consistently this fight is not going to happen. I think it probably is going to happen now. It's worth too much to too many people. For it to not happen at this point,
1: it's finally wanted... got the Simon Head seal of approval. It's going to happen. Oh
0: no, I don't approve of it. Don't, don't, don't let this confuse you. I think this this fight should not be sanctioned. Right? I'm just, I'm just putting it. Who can? Who, why would a guy with no professional boxing experience? How can any guy with no professional boxing experience be sanctioned to fight a world champion boxer? But this isn't a world champion boxer.
1: How <laughs> can a professional wrestler with no mixed martial arts experience fight in the UFC? This is the world that we live in Simon. But this yes
0: but he oh, I know but it's it's also craziness. Ah yes. it is different though. The professional wrestler was an NCAA champion.
1: Was CM Punk an NCAA champion? No, but
0: CM Punk fought an fought, <laughs> CM Punk fought a guy of a suit of a suitable level of experience. Whereas Conor McGregor is stepping into boxing as yes. a professional against a man with a 49 and 0 record.
1: But what if, Simon? What if?
0: This is this is, this is is why they're going to make a shitload of money, Sandy. Because, <laughs>
1: we're,
0: because we're asking questions like, what if?
1: Yeah. You know? What if that left hook that has made Conor McGregor millions, according to his Instagram post?
0: This is professional prize fighting. And that is why people want to watch, because you never know. You and we're going to lap
1: it up. We're going to lap it up will all the way until fight it? night. Of course I will.
0: Of course I will. I love it. I, you know, I'm all about the spectacle as well and that will be some spectacle. As a sporting contest, I hope it exceeds my expectations but my expectations are quite low. So um, we will see what happens. You think it's going to happen? I think it's going to happen. What I can guarantee is going to happen is episode number 32 of the Brit Pack because that is coming for you next week and we will look back at UFC Fight Night London as we recap the best and worst of the action from the Arena will Jimmy Manor get that big win in the main event against Corey Overtime Anderson which of the featherweight prospects will progress will it be Arnold Allen or Matt Carney? and how many of those Brits that are packing the fight card are going to be celebrating in London on Saturday night and we will be back with all that and a lot more on next week's show you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher SoundCloud Acast you can go to the website, thebritpackmma.com. You can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head, and you can follow the show at the Brit Pack MMA. That is where you send your questions. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We will speak to you in a week's time. Take care and enjoy the fight.